I'm Karen Lewis, and welcome to Recovery Bites, a show that gets real about recovery, where we welcome voices in the field and voices of experience. Join me for candid interviews with experts in eating disorder and mental health recovery. Listeners can look forward to new perspectives, meaningful conversations, diverse connection, and compelling personal narratives that make a powerful difference in how we live. Episodes focus on life beyond recovery, the good and the not so good, the successes and the challenges, and the authentic accounts of recovered lives. Not their whole story, just bites. All right, everyone, here we go. As always, an incredible, incredible show today. My guest is Gloria Lucas. I want to let you all know that I heard Gloria talk about a year ago at the Meta Conference in Boston. She had a standing ovation and I chased her down the hallway to say, I am honored to meet you and I would be honored if you'd be on the show. And she is here, what she has to say, which is powerful. We're just gonna jump right in, let's go. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Recovery Bites. To say that I'm honored does not actually capture how I'm feeling right now. I wanna introduce all of you to my guest for today, Gloria Lucas. Gloria, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super stoked. I'm so, I'm, I feel overwhelmed with so many emotions just because of the topic that we're going to talk about and, and your dedication to working with the BIPOC community. And I, I just, I can't even do it justice. So I am just going to say, Gloria, could you introduce yourself to the listeners? Thank you for being so kind and sharing those words with me. Um, so my pronouns are she and her. I am Mexican with indigenous descent and I live in Southern California. I'm the person behind Nalgona Positivity Pride and do a lot of advocacy work on the unique needs of BIPOC, Black Indigenous people of color, and eating disorders. And so I'm not your typical cookie cutter eating disorder awareness Instagram account or organization, but I really like to delve deeper into the issues that matter to marginalized communities such as BIPOC communities. You know, I was first introduced to your work when I saw you speak at a conference. And as I said to you earlier, I like chased you down the hallway after you gave your keynote speech because it is it is powerful. It is so important for people to be listening to the, these messages. I'd love to just sort of jump right in and talk about, can we talk about harm reduction in you, the community for BIPOC. And I, I'm wondering if we have to start by saying sort of, and, and it may not relate, but some of the harm that that research has done on the white affluent sophomore 
girl. So now we've narrowed you down, you meaning all people. Should we start there or could we start there and then talk about a harm reduction model? Yeah, we could definitely talk about how the current treatment models and eating disorder research has really left out Black, Indigenous people of color. And it's not until the last, especially the last two, three years, that the what matters most to BIPOC people and what BIPOC folks need has become a thought <laughs> in this field, right? And 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 there's been more um, shedding of light of of these matters. And to start off is since its inception of eating disorders, it's been uh, a struggle that has been identified on white, middle class, privileged, cisgendered, meaning people that identify with their gender that they were assigned at birth. So it's been seen as a white girl phenomena. And, and so when we look at BIPOC communities, a lot of BIPOC communities can be low income, can be in larger bodies, and are seen as, as a term more, most commonly used, as diseased, right? And we know that that all comes from racism and inequality. But since BIPOC folks are not seen as valuable and as urgent, uh, as an urgent matter or urgent group of people to keep alive, eating disorders have not really been a priority in, in, um, in these communities. And not just from the outside in, but from the inside as well. And that is for many reasons, considering that for many BIPOC communities, communities especially working class communities, the urgency is more on the most immediate the most immediate things for survival, right? Which is shelter, food. And so eating disorders are sometimes perceived as, as a second thought or, or not as urgent in our communities amongst ourselves. And then from the outside in, you know, we don't get eating disorders. That's the assumption. And I know there's been studies done in which um, medical providers are given case studies and identical uh, symptom, symptoms and the white uh, case study is then diagnosed or eating disorders is, is brought, is um, identified versus a person of color, black or indigenous person as with the same symptoms is not and is pathologized in a different way. And so this 30, 40 year old idea of this only happens within white populations has really harmed so many of us. And um, in my own personal experience, I never thought I had an eating disorder, especially at the beginning, because I am not that white girl from that movie from the lifetime, <laughs> you know, like that's not who I was. And so it left me to continue with my eating disorder for many years as part of my day rather than identifying it and naming it. Can you now transition talking about your own experience? And, and I, I have to wonder if this is where your, your passion for harm reduction has come into 
into your into creating your your latest teaching model, shall we say, talk a little bit or talk a lot about the harm reduction model with eating disorders. So most of my life, I have had one eating disorder or the other. And throughout this journey, I've had different experiences of support, ranging from loved ones, ranging from 12-step groups, ranging from outpatient therapy. And at different moments in my journey, I've wanted different things. And throughout this journey, especially within the last few years, since my most recent relapse, um, I didn't always had treatment support that resonated with me or that even made me feel emotionally safe. And, you know, I did not have that. I did not have that support. I still don't. But what has always been there has been harm reduction. And now harm reduction is thought of as, oh, that's what you do with people who use drugs, alcohol, um, or other other different types of risky behavior, such as gambling, tobacco use, sex work, risky sex. You know, there's many different types of risky behaviors. And so it's thought of as that's what you do with people who use drugs. But essentially, this is a framework that can be used for multiple behaviors. And if we look around, harm reduction is everywhere, from wearing masks during, you know, this pandemic, using seatbelts while we're driving, using condoms uh, for sex. And so harm reduction is truly everywhere, and it's applied everywhere. But yet, when it deals with even just drug use, there's always controversy controversial it's controversial and and yet it hasn't so directly been applied to eating disorders uh because again the whole for the past you know 30 40 years the whole all, all the resources have been put to get white women recovered to get them back to normal And so this idea of harm reduction for eating disorders is like, but wait, like you're giving up on people too easy, too quickly. um, And this is kind of enabling, right? That's always the argument you're enabling. But in reality, all the studies done on harm reduction, especially with drugs and alcohol, is that it drastically reduces death, um, disease, it reduces crime, it, it reduces it improves the quality of life of people who use. I mean, these are all very, very important things. And there's worldwide studies on harm reduction. And, you know, it's not until the last 20 years that harm reduction has somewhat been adopted in public health. But we have to remember that harm reduction was started by the drug users themselves. It started in the streets. And... We we always have to go back to that because I I don't think harm I don't I don't think that harm reduction fits neatly inside therapy rooms because it's not meant to work that way. It's meant to be a community, truly grassroots model. And so for those 
wondering about the philosophies of harm reduction, it's a set of strategies and ideas that are aimed at reducing the negative consequences around that behavior. So instead of the intervention being geared to how do we take you to abstinence is more to how do we keep you safe? And it under, you know, it's built on social justice, right? That when we deal with things such as drug use, there are they're multifaceted matters. And so it requires the work on all different levels to respect drug users and to love drug users. And that in itself can be very shocking for people because we live in a, in a culture that has really demonized substance use and has outcasted drug users. But harm reduction reminds us the importance I think this is where people have a hard time with harm reduction is that harm reduction allows us to look at the complex suffering that's taking place in the world and how people cope and that there are no clear answers to get people into complete healing, whatever that might mean. And so harm reduction is an invitation to truly sit with those uncomfortable feelings that people are suffering and have suffered for multiple generations. And so people are gonna cope the best way they can. And so harm reduction is a pragmatic response that again, focuses on keeping people safe, even if they continue with those behaviors. And so at the conceptual level, Harm reduction maintains a neutral view of drug use or that risky behavior. Uh, and so again, harm reduction is really meant to challenge us because it is the intersection, the middle ground of so many things, right? Our values, our political views, and yet the reality. And so when we look at eating disorder harm reduction, it is a paradigm shifting, compassionate model. And my whole goal with eating disorder harm reduction is to improve the quality of life of people struggling with eating disorders without giving them the ultimatum of you either recover and follow our meal plan or you're out. Like, no. Whether or not that individual has the goal of recovery, the goal of, of uh, reducing behaviors, the eating disorder behaviors, or of abstinence, it doesn't really matter with harm reduction. So harm reduction is truly radical love for the community, essentially. And what happens when we don't embrace harm reduction is what we currently have in treatment models. They're very carceral, punitive, and if we look at the numbers, they're not even effective. And so that is what eating disorder harm reduction is for me. It also, when you talk about the community aspect, I'm really imagining a ripple effect because in the ripple effect with harm reduction, it it allows community to have you know, almost no expectation. And and again, I want to be clear. This is not that we don't expect people to try. We don't expect people to, to want, but, but we, 
we don't put our expectations of what we define recovery on them. And as behaviors reduce in a harm reduction model, the people around them, let me make sure I get this straight, utilizing it, if, if we're utilizing it well, there's less stressors around the ones struggling, which creates less chaos, which creates less shame and less anxiety for the person to then engage in behaviors. Am I, am I creating something that's not actually there? Or is that something? Yeah, I, I like to make things up, Gloria. Yeah, I think that even when I first started learning about harm reduction, I thought, oh, this is a way to get people to reduce behaviors. And that can definitely be part of harm reduction, for sure. I argue it can be part of harm reduction if the individual wants that. But as community members, if we're really going to be neutral about these behaviors, then we have to meet people where they are at and truly sit down and listen to what are their goals. And so, um, and I know that's very difficult to hear because eating disorders are known to be one, very difficult to treat and very difficult for some people struggling to want abstinence from those behaviors. But yet we have overlooked all of this and that's why we have the current treatment models where a lot of people, first of all, don't make it in and don't have complete abstinence if we look at years afterwards, after the treatment. And so, um, so yes, it can be about behavior reduction, but it's not a requirement. If the individual is not seeking abstinence, is still willing to engage in those behaviors at the level that they are, then I think as a, as a community member, me, myself, and my local community, I happen to meet somebody who is in that, you know, does not have goals for, for again, reducing, but they want to stay safe. They want to learn way, they want to have eating disorder medical literacy, so they are aware of what to look for and when to seek medical help. Um, ways of reducing uh, maybe some of the dental harm, depending on what eating disorder they have. Again, so there's always ways of being there for people with, with harm, you know, and looking at harm reduction. In my own personal journey, to this day, my goal is not, I'm one of those people, better said. My goal is not behavior reduction and it's not recovery. I don't identify with recovery. And I know that's very painful for a lot of folks in this field, but that's my truth. And what that means is that when I'm honest with myself, I remove a lot of the stigma. And stigma does not help people who are engaging in self-harm. And it doesn't, I, I'm in this field. I am an eating disorder educator and, ha and have all this knowledge. Even with all of that, I am where I am with my eating disorder. And so what this has allowed me is one, to learn medical self-advocacy and how to speak to my medical providers. And it actually has encouraged me to go to my doctor appointments versus when I didn't have harm reduction, it was, well, I'm already harming. What's the point of even trying to take care of myself? 
what's the point? Because I am not in this path that everybody wants me to be. And I, I can't give, I can't produce that. But again, harm reduction is, is, is about compassion. And so uh, that, that, that is where I'm at. With that being said, because I have been intentionally doing harm reduction, it has led me to behavior, behavioral reduction without me even having that goal. And I got there because I learned about pharmacotherapy, about the medications that are used to treat eating disorders. And I learned, I learned that because of harm reduction, no provider, my doctor, nobody talked to me about this. Harm reduction did. And it's because of that, that it did help reduce behaviors. But again, that is still not my goal, but it has allowed for that to happen in a way where I'm not fighting it. I want to touch upon something that you talked about, which is very sacred to me, which is community. Because I feel we are a society that has gone very far away, moved very far away from community, community support, rallying around somebody who's suffering, helping them, holding them, whether it's metaphorically or literally, being there with them, sitting with them. We are such an individualistic community that we've lost that, or maybe we never had it. And I'm, I, I don't even have a, a question or anything about that, but I just, the word community is just heavy on my heart, sticking on my heart right now. And I don't know if you have anything to add to that. Yeah, the com community element, it's, it's so important, especially with, with BIPOC communities, because that is how we had been healing for thousands of years. It's not with medical institutions. It's not under Western psychology. It has been inside our communities. And, and so that, that's, that's, that's in our DNA. And so the last 500 plus years, since there's been this very drastic change through co colonialism, right? That, that, that's why a lot of us in, in our communities are struggling because sometimes we can't even have that community because the demands of capitalism um, how, you know, individualistic the society is and how much it values it. Technology has drifted us apart. I mean, there's so many things in place that disrupt that community building. And, um, and that's, that's my goal with eating disorder harm reduction. And it's, it's to create that community for myself because harm reduction in the eating disorder field is not widely accepted. It's not because there's a lot of saviorism in this field, meaning providers want to take people to abstinence. Um, but if we're really going to be honest, and I want all of us to be brutally honest, one in 10 individuals will seek professional treatment for their eating disorder. One in 10. And those who do make it inside are most successful when they enter treatment early on they say three years within the development of the eating disorder. And more than 50 years of literature on eating disorder suggests that less than half achieve full remission. 
a third experience residual symptoms, and a fifth become chronically ill. So we're talking about a lot of people here that don't make it to this other green side that these providers talk about. So what are we going to do then? And we, I think that there's so much morals placed on eating disorder behaviors. Um, and at the same time, the culture of this country is of excess and deprivation. At the same time, there's no middle ground. And so anytime eating disorders are brought up, they just make a lot of people uncomfortable for the same reasons that this culture has a really bad relationship with with food, may it be the foodie culture, then the gym culture, then the, I don't know, these diets that, are, what, is, what are they called? The wellness. Know, <laughs> the wellness, right? And so again, if we're really gonna be honest and we're really about being effective, we need harm reduction. And my main goal is to, again, build it through community. Um, it, it has to. It just has to. That's how harm reduction um, started for, for drug users. It was in, inside community. And so I'm working on launching an eating disorder harm reduction support group that will be exclusively for folks who are in it, who are who have active eating disorders and are seeking ways of keeping themselves safer, keeping them educated, because I believe education is knowledge. I just think about everything I've learned through eating disorder harm reduction and how it has helped me. Um, and I could only imagine what it could do for others. Do you find that there's any traits with somebody where harm reduction can be more internalized. And by that, I mean, bear with me, everybody. Meeting somebody where they're at, where they're not wanting to give up the eating disorder, although they are wanting life and a better life. Like, is there a drive of something better, wanting something better for harm reduction to be, for someone to implement it? Yeah, well, I mean, there's different strategies when it comes to harm reduction. Um, and I think the majority of people with eating disorders are always interested, for the most part, are interested in staying as healthy as possible, given that they struggle with something that ultimately affects every system in your body, right? If we're going to speak truthfully. Um, but yeah, I think that me being around a lot of people with active eating disorders, people want this education. Um, and to the very least, I feel that if they leave knowing that not to brush your teeth after self-induced vomiting and wait 60 minutes before brushing their teeth, if they just leave with that, I mean, that could be helpful for a lot of people because this, you know, this whole abstinence movement has taught that people have to hit rock bottom before wanting to get better and that's just cruel mm -hmm. and I feel that if providers take that oath of do no harm that means if you know strategies that will reduce suffering and harm why aren't why isn't that why isn't that being shared 
why are we putting all our pennies to abstinence only outcomes? And, you know, for me, eating disorder, my eating disorder has been part of me for most of my life. And I hope there's moments that maybe I, I will reach abstinence, who knows? But I would still like to have that information in the case I relapse. We know there's high rates of relapse in the struggle. So why are we doing that disservice to people who need this information so badly? And so we know that people with eating disorders have comorbidities, meaning that they also struggle with something else, maybe anxiety, and it's also abuse alcohol and use drugs. And so, and you know, and studies have reported that up to 50% of patients with eating disorders will use uh, will abuse alcohol and and use, and that thirty five percent of alcohol substance abusers have an eating disorder, and so we not only need harm reduction for the eating disorder, but we also need it for substance use, and yet I have never heard the conversation of substance use harm reduction in the eating disorder field, so. There's a lot of gaps here, and there's so much more work needed to help people like me or even people who are living more within the margins uh, that don't make it to hear this podcast, don't make it into treatment, um, might not even have e housing. Like, How do we share this information with them? How do we not give up? People say harm reduction is already giving up on folks, but I see the the complete opposite. As a matter of fact, I think eating disorder treatment gives up on individuals when they don't follow through with their meal plan or whatever the goal is or the, the weight. What happens? Many times they get kicked out. So the system already let us down. So why where does this idea of we let people down through harm reduction? Like I just I don't understand that. Is that the majority of the pushback that you get from using this model? Surprisingly, I've been very shocked at the response. Be it was just last year that this year that I did a keynote on the topic and I was expecting backlash. But I think it's just there's so much logic to it that there's no way that folks can just be like, no, we need to take people, we need to get people always recovered. Um, there have been some, uh, one being, you know, that harm reduction is not possible with eating disorders because food is always around versus alcohol you don't need. And I'm like, well, it depends who you speak to because... I've lived in communities where alcohol is next door. <laughs> it's in my fridge because somebody else drinks in my home. Like you get me? Like I, I, I didn't. I just, I just found that comment to be so entrenched in privilege that um, I, I just didn't under. <laughs> I don't understand. Like anybody can drink easily if that's if that's what you want to make the argument of. Um, and again, this whole idea is like, you always have to eat. I'm like, that's why we need harm reduction because the trigger is always around. You know, we can't just break free from it. So even more of a reason to have harm reduction. I'm sure people have shared more, more that I, I don't know of that 
you know, they're, they disagree. Uh, but at this point, if I did not have eating disorder harm reduction, I could not continue doing this work. I would not have the energy. Who knows? I might even not be here if I didn't have harm reduction. So what does it matter that others don't understand or not or are not there yet? I know I'm not the only one. And there's people who are going through a lot more than I am. So I don't need to listen to that noise. I need to get to those those folks. How do you feel that in the BIPOC population, what are some additional, some, many additional hurdles that need to be broken down or barriers that somewhat make it impossible to recover at the at the quality at the standard of what is being presented right now in this individualistic white population like what are some of the additional hurdles i mean we talked about the fact that research is not done on bipoc so theories are created on research we've talked about the difference with with what food means to bipoc i mean what are some of the other hurdles which is one of the reasons from what I understand when I heard you speak a while back was why you were saying that the harm reduction model works so well with this population. I think this is the bottom line. Western colonial derived psychiatry and psychology is not it. It's not what's going to heal BIPOC people. And so I firmly believe we need to start again. That's what I think. I, 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 you know, there's a lot of idea of reform treatment and, and maybe that's a harm reduction approach for some, but I really think we need to start again. That's how bad this field is. Um, and so some of the barriers that currently exist with what we have is there's a reason I have never seen an eating disorder treatment center in a low income neighborhood. Why? Because these are profit driven industries, which by the way, make a lot of money about over a thousand dollars per day, if you want to go inpatient. And so one being that my healing, if that's what I want, is not going to come from a predominantly white team. It just will not. And I think that there is amazing providers. I think there is a lot of providers that want something different. I think there's a lot of white allies in this field, for sure. With that said, I need to heal with my people if that's what I want, right? If I get there. The other thing is that it is, there's a, a lot of, bureaucracy that gets in the way. You have to learn how to navigate medical systems in order to get there. Um, and BIPOC people have so many other barriers. If you don't have housing stability, food security, there's no way you're gonna go all in on, on treatment or, or recovery. Um, 
how is treatment that is indoors, how is that going to heal us? Like, why isn't a lot more support happening in gardens, happening out in nature, happening, getting vitamin D? Like, it's just so counterintuitive to me how treatment, how it, it, it's, it's the biomedicine of, 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 psychology and, and eating disorders it just doesn't make any sense to me um so other barriers that folks experience is cultural it's my experience was I had culture shock I had complete old culture shock like this was so alien to me and this is me being in this field I I couldn't my body went in complete shock um and i felt i felt like my body shut me out because i started getting so much anxiety and panic attacks i i i it, it, yeah it was such a hurtful experience to attempt getting professional help and ultimately what a lot of marginalized folks want is they want treatment and support that is flexible. And it, they, people want non-invasive support. Asking somebody to stop school, stop work, be removed from their family, be separated into a different location, another community to heal is a lot to ask for. And I find that a lot of recovery comes with privilege. And that's not something everybody has. Not to mention the carceral qualities that treatment has and psychiatry in general. It's been another arm of incarceration, essentially. If, for instance, eating disorder treatment being hypervigilant, you can't even use the restroom privately, like you don't have a lot of autonomy. People with eating disorders are perceived as not being able to make decisions for themselves because they're malnourished, right? So they're infantilized in some way. Uh, and, you know, they get rights removed if they don't abide with whatever their rules are or expectations are. These, This is how prisons work. Uh, it needs to be community-based and, and truly community-based I feel that instead of treatment centers, we need to have community centers. Treatment centers should be running multiple things, um, closing the gap on local food insecurity. They truly have the resources. These need to be mutual aid efforts in, in, in these treatments. It, it just can't be all therapy rooms. Like, it, it, no. It needs to be accessible. We know that the neurodivergent community has high rates of eating disorders. Why aren't we more neurodivergent centered? It needs to be truly individualized care and open to experimenting. I think that's what harm reduction is, is experimenting and leaving possibilities open um, in a way that makes the individual feel safe and comfortable. This drastic approach of you need to follow this and reduce here and, and gain weight here. Like that, that's a lot you're asking. And I explained it like this recently. 
what it feels like for somebody with an eating disorder being asked to stop or to reduce feels like being disarmed during war. Because a lot of our eating disorders is how we are surviving. And there's no sympathy there, I felt, in my own personal experience. It needs to be not diverse. We need to move past diverse treatment. Like, that doesn't do much. It needs to be culturally centered and actually be centered in other worldviews, not just not Western. Western views is what got us here, <laughs> okay? Western values is what got us here. And a lot of people want more ancestral, anti-racist, anti-colonial, and liberation-oriented care. I cannot trust a provider that does not understand historical trauma and how it plays a role in my life. And then land-based healing. And this is like maybe a complete alien concept to a lot of white providers, but in many indigenous groups around the world, land plays a very intricate role in defining self-awareness, the role in the universe of, of oneself, of one community. So land is a way of healing. And it's difficult to heal when we are living under stolen land. And nobody recognizes that, very rarely. And they don't even understand the concept of giving the land back to indigenous people, which by the way, will be how we stop uh, climate change, drastic climate change. Anyways, so these are things that BIPOC folks want in eating disorders support, not just treatment, support. And I think there's a difference there. You know, I, I'm sitting here and I'm, I'm in awe of you. And, and by the way, that also makes me a little sad that, that your message is bring somebody to this place. Like the, this, this should be widespread, well-known, understood, accepted. And I have mixed emotions by the fact that I just said that to you, like I'm sitting here in awe because I don't know how that, how that sounds. I I really want to want to challenge providers with giving them permission <laughs> and the room to think about what would it mean to create treatment models for eating disorders in a way that is not meant to be a long-term establishment, meaning that the whole goal is to build, build that eating disorder support in communities so that treatment centers are no longer needed. Why? Because the support is coming from our neighbors. Why have we put a cap into our creativity with how we view eating disorders and how we deal with them? Why does there have to be a cap? Do you feel like the field is changing at all? Do you feel like there's progress, but it's minimal? Like, where do you feel like the field is at right now? I think there's a lot of changes and I, I I feel especially after the uprisings in 2020 and 2021 and still are I think it really shook people that did not have the time to stop pause and really look at the world for what it is um so I do think there there's shifts and I definitely do have colleagues that have these radical views on 
on eating disorder care. So I, I'm I'm definitely not alone, but at the great scheme of things, there's more room for more providers to, you know, think and and want better, and to not just get stuck on. But how will we get paid? But what about insurance companies? I mean, and that's a whole nother thing. I don't understand why there isn't more organizing against these insurance companies that are completely unethical and cut treatment left and right. And it's just like people have just gave in into this broken system. I don't understand. That is a... a... That is a conversation that could go on for a very long time, talking about how broken the insurance company, that system is. I will say that I feel really honored to have been able to have this conversation with you and that I want you to know how important your voice is. When I saw you, at the meta conference, you got a standing ovation. You are making a difference, Gloria. My my heart was so full and so heavy at the same time after hearing you talk. And so I just want to thank you for what you're putting out there because this is what is creating the change. And it's not it's not easy and i i it's it's a it's a big mountain to climb but you are from my experience an important piece of this movement and you you are helping a lot of clients and providers to open up their minds and so i really want to thank you for being here on the show thank you I'd say, is there anything else you want to add before we end? But I think that would be a whole nother podcast. But I do want to ask, is there anything you want to add? Yeah, so my I'm working on an eating disorder harm reduction course for eating disorder providers and mental health providers as well. And this will be launching in January. And I will be launching the eating disorder support group. Uh, hopefully before the year ends so folks can keep themselves um, folks could stay connected by signing up to my email list okay well thankfully everything will be in the show notes so again Gloria thank you for being on the show all right everyone that does it for another episode of recovery bites I look forward to speaking with each and every one of you next week. Take care and stay safe. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Recovery Bites. Be sure to visit recoverybitespodcast.com to join the conversation, access show notes, listen to past episodes, and more. You can also find us by searching for Recovery Bites on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast streaming players. For weekly episode releases, you can follow us at at Recovery Bites Pod on Instagram. If you're interested in becoming a guest on the show or to submit a guest request, please visit KarenLewisEDC.com forward slash podcast signup 
to begin the process. I'd also like to send out a heartfelt thank you to my producer, Jen Galvin. It is unbelievable the magic she does behind the scenes. All right, everyone. See you next week for another Recovery Bite. Thanks for listening.